The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. For pleasure. Pleasure, I hope. Welcome to the United States. Hamer Reinhardt, sometimes called Wolfgar. Born Frankfurt, Germany, 1946. Educated Paris and Patrice Lumumba University, Moscow. Currently self-employed. Occupation? International terrorist. to be indoctrinated in counter-terrorist techniques. Deke De Silva, age 35. Born and raised New York City. Honorable discharge, U.S. Army, 1972. 52 registered kills. Occupation, cop. to its knees and only one man can stop him Universal Pictures presents Sylvester Stallone in Nighthawks coming in April Hi guys, welcome back to Make Fun of Kyle Day. Just kidding, this is the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. Every I'm your day host, is Make Fun Jimbo. of Kyle Day. <laughs> Every day is Make Fun of the Kyle Day, Jimbo. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Zayner. Kyle Zayner in the house. Uh-huh. So Kyle, today we will be discussing a movie where I said, Hey Kyle, look at this, Sylvester Stallone's got a funny beard in this. And Kyle's like, well, we I want to cover movie. that next week. I was like, That's really? our movie now. I said, why? He said, Costalone's got a yeah, beard. Costalone's got a beard and glasses. He you want to see the beard, though. Stupid. It is epic. It's a great beard. It's a great beard. This is a good Sylvester Stallone movie where he's playing against his It's title actually a good movie. Yeah. I can't believe oh, I said that. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those one of those obscure ones I had never even heard of. Had you? No, I had not heard it before. We did this podcast. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but Kyle, before we get started. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do, Jim? A question for, for Kyle? Or do you want to do Yeah, it's a question for Kyle. Question for Kyle time. Okay, get, ask me a question. Kyle. Yes. Are Jim you ready? Bro. No, I'm not. Never am. Never will be. <laughs> Kyle, this movie stars uh, Sylvester Stallone, Sly, as some people call him, mm-hmm. and Billy D. Williams as a dynamic cop duo. Yeah. Give me your favorite 
Dynamic cop duo. Dynamic cop duo. Oh, uh, 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 Mel Gibson and uh, 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 Lethal Weapon. What's his name? Danny Glover. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. That's, that's my favorite. Um, yeah, those guys just love each other. It's great. <laughs> I'd probably have to yeah, go with, um, yeah. was it Turner and Hooch? Turner and Hooch. <laughs> Tom Hanks and the dog. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember if they were cops or not. It seems like you like, do Sylvester Stallone again, like Joe uh, uh, and Dredd. It was, it was uh, Sylvester Stallone and the guy from um, Deuce Bigelow. Uh, uh, Rob Schneider, Rob Schneider, and <laughs> Rob Schneider, and so it's just a loon. You know, I think I think eventually we may need to cover Police Academy on this yeah, yeah. on this podcast. Oh, because Die Hard Three, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson too. That's a really good one. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a Die Hard fan, so why would you even bring that up on this podcast? <sighs> the best Christmas movie. Come on, uh, you and your anti-Christmas agenda, Jimbo. All right, Kyle. Well, before we get started. Um, we do have a couple of reviews. We said we would read. We were supposed to read them last week, but time got away from us, and Kyle yep. didn't remind me till the very end. So, yeah, Kyle, now we're gonna hit it from the top. Go ahead and read those two reviews, please. Okay, this review comes from P Ballman Number One. Um, it's titled "A Movie a Movie Lovers Must." Yeah, y'all have come a long way since the beginning. There was a co-host change in the middle there, but it was a good one. Congrats, guys! Keep up the great work from Tim Mullins. Thank you, Tim Mullins. Tim I appreciate Mullins your review. Are- our buddy and uh, he said we've come a long way and he you know yeah. he, he knew uh, when I had to make a, a co-host change and uh, he said it was for the better and you know I, I, I tend to agree I think you do a really good job Kyle Thank so you, I really thanks again mm-hmm. and next up we have a review from Jason B 007 he wrote Raiders is the best movie of 1982 I, I, I won't disagree with you on that um, but hats off to Spiel for the top two Bond out thank you for the five star review yeah Bond's Bond's a, a, a normal listener he usually chimes in on our Twilight Zone uh, episodes and leaves reviews so awesome thanks Bond didn't know you listened to the regular feed too <laughs> appreciate it yeah. so all right Kyle are you ready to dive into this episode from ni- or episode yeah this episode but this movie from 1981 Kyle where I was just four years old a wee little lad so this movie's really old <laughs> it's, it's 42 years for old <laughs> 43 years old it is 43 years old um all right yes uh well 43 years old as of April 10th because this movie was released on April 10th, 1981, Nighthawks, rated R, um, when one of Europe's most lethal terrorists shows up in New York, an elite undercover cop is assigned to take him down by any means necessary, including murder. <laughs> true I had, story. I had the murder part. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> nice. Um, directed by Bruce Malmuth, um, written by David Saber and Paul Seibert. Uh, produced by Dan Maloff and Martin Pohl. Composed by Keith Emerson. And casting director was Sis Corman. Budget for the film was $5 million flat. Adjusting for inflation would be about $16.9 million today. Actually, we're just going to round that up to $17 million. Make it easier for you guys. <laughs> so about $17 million today. Wow. $5 million 40 years ago. $17 million today now. Inflation hurts. Um, and next up, opening weekend, it made just $2.5 million. Adjusting for inflation would be about eight point six today. Um, so unfortunately, it didn't make that much. didn't make any money back for opening weekend. But luckily, gross um, U.S. Canada made $14.9 million. Just for inflation, would be about um, 60, um, 65, 60, around $60 million today. But then gross worldwide, it made $19.9 million. And that's where we got the big bucks of $67.5 million today. So in the end, it made its money back. And then some, I'm sure, it did well enough for itself. So that's good news for Sly and everyone else in this film, Billy Williams. I'm sure they all got a good paycheck out of this at the end of the day. So good news for them on there. 
Um, some of the technical details of the film. I forgot to look up awards before we started this, so I don't know if I got wearing horns or not. Um, but some of the technical details. It has a runtime of 99 minutes. Um, it actually has a mono sound mix, which is a little unusual for 1981. Usually we get at least two channel 1980s, so but this is just a mono mix. <laughs> um, this is a color film. Aspect ratio is 1.85 by 1. And the production dates was from January 21st, 1980 to April of 1980. And then one year later, we finally got the final cut released. So that's cool news there. Next up, we're going to move on to the cast. And this is a surprisingly decent cast going on here. Um, first up, of course, we've got the legendary Sylvester Sloan playing the role of Decky De Silva. Um, Sylvester Sloan, of course, easily recognizable for like his roles as you know, Rocky from 1970, 1970, 1976 to, what is it now, seven or eight movies later now where he still plays uh, Rocky? He's got Creed and like, all that. Rocky and all 1 through 5, then Creed 1 and 2, and I think he finished after that. I don't think he appeared in Creed 3 at all. Um, but still, a huge amount of Rocky movies. And then Rambo, which I think they got like six now, I think. I think they got six Rambo movies, maybe five around there. Um, ended with Rambo Last Blood, which was awful. <laughs> Um, next up, we got. Um, he was also in the Suicide Squad pretty recently. I think that was like 2019 or uh, no, not 2019, probably 2022. I think. Um, but the Suicide Squad, where he played King Shark, you know, King Shark is a shark. Fun stuff there. Um, next up, we have he was in the Expendables series, which I think that has on its fourth movie now. That just came out a few weeks ago, actually. Have you watched it? Um, no, I have not. Have you? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Near I think I'm, sure. I'm a couple of them. I'm a couple behind. That's probably the right position to be for the rest of your life. <laughs> Um, he also mentioned, oh, Assassins, one of Jimbo's personal favorites right there. It is. And then one of my personal favorites, he was also Judge Dredd for the Judge Fridge films. I am the law! So, awesome news there. So, it's just Sloan playing Decky De Silva. Then next up, playing his um, partner uh, partner in law, <laughs> um, we have Billy D. Williams playing the role of Matthew Fox. Um, Billy D. Williams, of course, easily most recognizable for his role as Lando Calrissian in the Star Wars trilogy, specifically Star Wars Episode V and Star Wars Episode VI, um, The Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. So, awesome news there seeing Billy Dee Williams back in this role and of course he was also um, Harvey Dent in Batman 19 oh uh, wait was it the voice role for Batman no he played uh, in the live action yeah that's right he did but he didn't come two-faced he just played Harvey Dent because he didn't have time to come two-faced got it I remember that now yes that was awesome there too um, and he was also in Command and Conquer Three: Tiberium Wars, which is one of my personal favorite games as well, where he played an evil politician. I loved him to death in that movie, in that game. Fun game there. Um, next up, though, we have Lindsay Wagner playing the role of Irene. Um, Lindsay Wagner, of course, easily recognizable for a role as the bionic woman of the show, the same name from 1976 to um, I think that show ran for like two or three years, I think. So from 1976 to you know 78 or 79, I think. And of course, also. Um, uh, Numerous other TV shows. Can't remember all the shows, but Lindsay Wagner. And she was also in Death Stranding back in like 2018 or 2019 when that game came out as well. So pretty cool stuff there going off with Lindsay Wagner. Then next up we have Paris um, Kambata playing the role of Shaka. Paris was also in the film Star Wars Motion Picture where she played um, Ilya. Um, in the first film, the um, kind of like the um, like the robot, uh, well, whatever the yeah, the kind of uh, the girl under a trance or possession, doesn't agree by whatever alien force is attacking the Star Trek film in that film, um, and she was also in the film. Um, let me see here, wrote Phoenix the Warrior, yeah, Phoenix the Warrior, where she played the role of Cobalt. Then next up, we have Nigel Davenport playing the role of Peter Hartman. Nigel Davenport was also in the film, um, the film, The Man of All Seasons, where he played the Duke of Nor- Norfolk, and also in the film Chariots of Fire, where he played, where he played Lord Birken- Birkenhead. 
Then we have Rugger Hauer playing the role of Wolfgar. Rugger Hauer, also a legendary actor in his own right, um, played many numerous roles. Sad to see him pass away. Um, uh, wait, did he pass away? Or I'm yeah, thinking of he's dead. Yeah, he's, he's passed away a few years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was a major several roles, especially like, you know, ba- Batty from the Blade Runner films, the first one there. Um, Hogan with a Shotgun in 2011. Um, Sin City, where he played Cardinal Rung. And um, Kaisen, where he um, played um, a Master um, oh, Xenohort. Zeno- yeah. No, he's in Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts, right? Master Xenoport, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote a you wrote a heart. I know, I wrote a heart. heart. You put a heart there. <laughs> That's what, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. We had a ton of notes this week, so I had Jimbo help me out and so I got to read his handwriting and he did a good job, but I'm a bad reader. <laughs> well, I drew a picture and I threw him off for I put a heart instead of um, next up we have Hillary Tom um, Hillary Thompson playing the role of Pam. Hillary Thompson was also in the film The Fury in nineteen seventy eight and several different T V shows. Then next up we have John Spinnell playing the role of Lieutenant Monifau. 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 I'm going to say Monifau. Joe Spinell was also in the, the film Taxi Driver in 1976, where he played a personal personal officer. Um, Rocky, where he played Gazzo. And The Godfather, where he played Willie Sishi. Willie Sishi. Okay, yeah, got that right there. And that's going to conclude the cast list for Nighthawks right there. So, Jimbo, let's drive into some trivia. Drive? Drive into it. That's right. Drive right. into it. Don't dive. Drive. <laughs> Don't drink and dive. dive. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... I think this is a really good movie. It's 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 a good cop, bad cop, but there's these two are on the night beat, you know, in mm-hmm. New York City, I guess, and they are tasked. They are sent away, well, not away, but they are tasked to a task force that's trying to stop this international terrorist, which is Rutger Howe, which um, he he's he's been under like blowing up shops over there and was a Britain or England, yeah, yeah. Ireland somewhere. And he's a bit of like a terrorist mercenary almost, where he just works for whatever kind of rebellious cause he was willing to hire him to. Right. So he's a pure psychopath that just bombs random places for whatever the highest bidder is and happens to be a rebellious cause. Well, it's like you know he goes undergoes uh, plastic, plastic surgery, surgery to change his yeah. appearance, comes over to the United States and, and begins bombing buildings in there. Oh immediately. yeah. Um, he ends up taking uh, was it the United Nations that were meeting there, and he ends up taking a bunch of their the like the different mm-hmm. of oh, that tram. Yeah, that tram, Kyle. Yeah, but, but but early early in the film, he blows up one of the buildings at night, so they all claim they have um, protection money, stuff like that too, to keep the police distracted. And he's so those. he's so yeah. uh, merciless that there, he's at a party. And um, I guess they got tipped off that he was there because they come up the stairs yeah. and well, what before they come up the stairs, yeah. the one guy, I guess it's his house or whatever, but he comes out with that and he's got that guitar or whatever and he shoots that guy or the cop right through the guitar or whatever. Yeah, with like a Mac 10. Great, great, great Oh scene. yeah, absolutely. It just shows how vicious he is too immediately where like he takes no chances whatsoever. As soon as he knows he's compromised, he immediately goes, pulls out his gun, starts killing everyone that's in his way and it leaves as quickly as he came in. So incredibly, it shows how much of a threat he is to everyone he's around. So really good scene right there. For right. Sure. And um, there's also the scene where he basically meets that girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think her name's Amy. I don't remember. The actually. air stewardess. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, he basically goes and stays with her, but she ends up finding, like, his... Bomb-making kit. Oh, yeah, grenades mm-hmm. and guns. And he's like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that, you know. And he's... Yeah. What's that thing you always say? Oh, you're you going go to, to... You go to a better place. Better place, yeah. <laughs> go to a better place. <laughs> you know, somebody's dying. Just kill her. Yeah. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's a really good movie. If you've never seen this movie, it's, it's really worth a watch, I, I do believe. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Let's talk a little bit of some trivia. So the 63rd Street Tunnel, uh, which was under construction at this time, was used in the underground chase sequence. I think where uh, Riker Howe's running and Stone oh, and uh, the, Billy D. Williams are chasing. In the subway area? Yeah. yeah. Cool. 
Uh, when the original director, Gary Nelson, left the project, uh, Bruce Melmoth took over production. When he couldn't make it onto his first day to shoot the train scene, Sylvester Stallone directed the chase to not miss a day of shooting. This caused trouble with the Director's Guild. Guild rule states that a Director's Guild member cannot be fired so an actor can take over directing a movie in which he is starring. So the producers asked for and received special permission for Stallone to direct the scene. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So at least they actually got permission instead of just doing it, what they want to do. Yeah, it's know? amazing. He got it done there. He sounds like he did it the right way as best he could. Especially that quick to get an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, like, I'm sure like there's a lot of money involved in that kind of situation, too. So it was good on supply for saving the day, basically. Right. Uh, this was Rutger Hauer's first American feature film. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I don't huh. know if he did anything over there in Dutch or anything. You know, yeah, yeah, so presumably he'd have to, because yeah, he's such a contractor in his own yeah. right that way. Um, the story was originally planned as the French Connection 3 by screenwriter David Schaber at 20th Century so cool. Fox and would have seen Gene Hackman's Popeye Doyle team up with a wisecracking police officer to be possibly played by Richard Pryor. Oh, my god. The gosh. main plot was the same, but when Hackman showed reluctance to do a third movie as Doyle, the idea was scrapped. And Universal Pictures acquired the rights to the storyline, which Saber then reworked into this movie. That explains so much of this film. It really does. Because it, you it know, we've a, been talking about doing the French Connection on this show for we, we Yeah, we, we pushed it back we and forth. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I thought that was very interesting. Can you see Richard Pryor as a, as a police officer? Yeah. I mean, hilarious. Yeah, this is the most. I, I gotta like. I, I can't figure out the math of his age too. It's like, like, is, is it worth one of those things? Like, by the time he gets to French Connection three, Gene Hackman would have been a little too long in the tooth to do an action movie like this. But still, oh my gosh, because it, ha- it does have that same kind of gritty atmosphere that the French Connection had, where like things are kind of sad in that whole city. <laughs> uh, this was the first movie in which Sylvester Stallone played a police officer. Did you ever see Copland? Uh, no, I'm not. Is it really good? It's all right. How do you think this is so long played a cop in? I mean, if you talk, you, you got to count Judge Dredd. Then you got this. Yeah, film, but this is 1981, though. Judge Dredd was a. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of how many times in his career uh, so long played a cop. Yeah, I think those are like the three films you really played a cop. Anything else is kind of like. Eh. Um, he, he made a lot of those B movies later on, too. Oh, so right. I don't Stop know. My Mom Will Shoot. Right, stuff yeah, like that. stuff like that. Cobra. <laughs> Cobra was good. Cobra was uh, good. In preparation for their roles as New York City street cops, Billy D. Williams and Sylvester Stallone spent several weeks working at night with the New York City street crime unit. Cool. Uh, the cable car scene in this movie was the Manhattan to Roosevelt Island overhead tramway, so it was the real one. I think that's cool. Uh, reportedly, Sylvester Stallone did all of his own stunts in this movie, and we'll talk about a few of them here later on in the notes where... Could have killed him. So yeah, we'll there's definitely a lot of risky stuff in here too. I mean, I, oh my gosh, I love this film, especially where it's just like they had to do everything practically because he couldn't possibly do a fake version of it. But like, let's just throw a bus into the Hudson. Why not? Just do it. Just do it. It's so dumb. we'll talk about that here in a minute too. <laughs> uh, the meaning and relevance of this movie's title is that Nighthawks refers to the men and women street cops of the New York City crime unit who patrol the city at nighttime. So our hats off are to them. Uh, this movie premiered three years after another movie which had the same title. Nighthawks was a very different movie. A drama about a gay male school teacher. <laughs> That's fantastic. In that order, gay male and school teacher. <laughs> Jeez, Kyle. All right, here we go. Sylvester Stone said of the cable car stunt to Ain't It Cool News, quote, Hanging from the cable car was probably one of the more dangerous stunts I was asked to perform because it was untested and I was asked to hold a folding Gerber knife in my left hand, so if the cable were to snap and I survived the 230-foot fall into the East River with its ice-cold 8-mile-an-hour current, I could cut myself free from the harness because the cable, when stretched, outweighed more than 300 pounds. 
I tell you this because it's so stupid to believe that I would survive hitting the water, so to go beyond that is absurd. Yeah, because you mean they're going to break nearly all your bones. <laughs> and then supposedly get the strength to cut yourself loose and swim back to shore before uh, anyone else can get to you. Because you're gone in minutes. Oh, you freeze to death. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is seen twice in drag in this movie. <laughs> the beginning and at the end. The end scene is awesome. The end scene is amazing. Yeah. The beginning scene is which yeah, great, too. Yeah, is great. Yeah. Uh, and also, that, that's just... that's. I, you know, I appreciate you know, like uh, Schwarzenegger for so many years in this decade was doing like straight action guy, but Sylvester Stallone he would take those like weirder acting roles where it's like, yeah, I'll get in drag for this role if the role demands it. And sure enough, this thing too, they don't even like he doesn't even like dress to show how big he is too. He's wearing like trench coats for like, the majority of the film <laughs> and to hide how the of large he is of yeah. a man. <laughs> Uh, originally, the script was based on a real character, the international terrorist known as Carlos the Jackal. Carlos the Jackal. Oh, isn't there? Isn't that one of the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger films called The Jackal too? I wonder if that's, that's well. There is a movie called The Jackal, but I don't. Or is think it Bruce it's, Willis? It's Bruce Willis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rutger Hauer lost his mother and his best friend during the production of this movie. He returned to his native Netherlands from both of their respective funerals, but returned to the production each time within a few days. Despite all of his personal drama and all the difficulties on the set, Hauer stated in his autobiography that was that he was happy. Uh, he stayed aboard as this uh, on this movie because it caused him to be noticed in Hollywood and started an impressive international career. I would think also like going through like you know, sometimes going through that kind of like the, the 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 emotional turmoil of losing loved ones like that. It's nice to have an outlet where it's like I can focus on my job and not have to focus on the emotions going through me right there too. Right. So that could be also be an outlet to him in that moment too, where like he had his job to focus on and getting this movie done was a good way to kind of help him process his emotions. So I hope so. So good to hear on that that he got through it well enough. Uh, Sylvester Stallone was really disappointed with the way Universal Pictures re-edited the movie, despite the fact that he did his share of re-editing on the movie prior to the studio's interference. He was really upset because of the removal of his dramatic scenes with Lindsay Wagner, including an emotional scene between him and Wagner in a restaurant only mentioned in the final version of the movie where his character breaks down and cries after his ex-wife refuses to remarry him. Oh, wow. That's really difficult. I wish there was like a like a, a Nighthawks definitive cut or something like that I could watch on time. <laughs> well, well, we'll ask Lindsay Wagner at exactly. Indiana Goes, Comic Con. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, according to the interview in Premier Magazine, Rutger Hauer was told before filming that Sylvester Sloan ran up building uh, stairwells for exercise. However, during the subway chase, Hauer continually outran the American star who is known for his competitive streaks. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> him getting more and more pissed off each yeah. time he loses to. Oh, my gosh. Uh, stories about onset fights between Rutger Hauer and Sylvester Sloan are still talked about amongst fans of this movie and both actors. In his autobiography, Howard stated that Stone had come off of a recent string of box office bombs and was in desperate need of a hit movie. Howard felt that many of the onset clashes stemmed from Stallone's constant efforts to keep tight control over every aspect of the film's production, such as replacing original director Gary Nelson with Bruce Melmoth. However, Howard also said during interviews and years later that he actually didn't take his arguments with Stone personally and that the biggest problem during filming was that it was a very difficult movie to make. From his part, Sloan had expressed deep regret over his behavior in the 1980s during a 2014 interview stating that the success of Rocky had made him insufferable. By his own admission, he absurd, uh, abused power and was an authority on everything and wished that he could go back and punch myself in the face. Oh, wow. That's props as much Sloan having that little introspection recognizing like the bad things he was doing in his career at the time. You know, not terrible, but enough to be insufferable and I'm sure a difficult person to work with. Um, right. Really cool that he's come to recognize that. Uh, Stallone had a lifelong, uh, lifelong fear of heights, um, but there's the one scene where um, he and he wanted to do all of his own stunts. Though there was 
um, this one scene, I'll tell you this and I'll tell you about this other stuff, but there was this stunt where uh, they were on the train and he was supposed to kick out the glass on the subway or whatever, mm -hmm. but it was reinforced with the wire. you ever seen the wire with that? It was going to take a really good kick. To actually get through it, So, yeah. well, when he went to do it, because he said we're using real glass. Oh, so yeah. So. He went to kick it and the window unseated or whatever, and he lost his ballot and he almost got ran over by the train. Oh, my God. Yeah, for that. But then also, uh, due to his fears, all so instead of the helicopter stunt, I've never been so scared in my life. In the same interview, Stone also said that he uh, spent 15 weeks in almost total seclusion in his hotel room between scenes and that those were the most stressful moments of his life. I bet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the turmoil, like the dread of having to do it again. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah I feel bad for him right there. Uh, the London bombing was filmed at Arding and Hobbs, an actual store at the corners of Lavender Hill and St. John's Road in Battersea. The store was built in 1910 and is a grade-2 listed historical building. As of 2017, Debenhams occupies the main part of the building. So, but they really destroyed that. You know really mean? destroyed a building, I guess. That's I don't know good. if they destroyed it. Destroyed it. Well, but, presumably I mean, they used it. You know, yeah. Enough to make maybe. a late discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the first times the Roosevelt tram was used in a movie. Do you know what one of the other ones is? Would it be Die Hard Three? No. How about Spider Man? Spider Man. Spooderman. Nice. Well, I went for Spider Man One or Two or Three. I think it's the one where he's like. Whoa. Doing the arm thing. <laughs> yeah. As the London counter salesperson, Canadian Catherine Mary Stewart was dubbed by someone with an English accent. Although Catherine herself said in a cult film freak interview, I was supposed to be British and having lived there a while, I had a pretty good accent, but apparently they had to overdub me and did so with someone in LA. I assume because that was not my voice and the accent wasn't good was wasn't uh, wasn't, wasn't good, good enough. I thought. Yeah. How would you like that? Oh, we need somebody. Oh, oh sorry. We need somebody that you, you don't sound British enough. I'm sorry, dear. We'll get this girl from LA to do it for you. Like what the what? <laughs> uh, the bus jump into the river was performed by legendary stuntman Dar Robinson, who was the movie stunt coordinator. The most dangerous element about the stunt was the risk of Dar being knocked out during the hard landing and having to undo his harness and exit the bus before it sank. Dar's ability to engineer dangerous stunts safely allowed the stunt to be performed flawlessly. Hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, it's a great stunt too. It looks great on film. I yeah, think it looks amazing. Really good. Yeah. Uh, this is this always blows my mind of how they film a movie. Okay, mm -hmm. because the first scene that Rutger Hauer had to film was his death scene at the end of the movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> While filming the scene, Hauer was injured twice. In one instance, a squib meant to simulate a gunshot wound exploded on the wrong side and severely burned him. Wow. The other, a cable that would yank him to simulate the force of being shot, was pulled too hard, straining his back. Afterward, Howard discovered that the cable was pulled with such force on Sylvester Stallone's orders. This was the last straw for Howard, who then threatened Stallone that he would break his balls if he ever did uh, something like that again. Their working relationship afterwards was marked by numerous arguments. Stallone felt that Howard's performance dominated this movie, which... I think it did. Yeah. I uh, two versions of this movie were shown to test audience, one with a more emphasis on Stallone's character and the other on Howard's. The version featuring um, more of Howard's scenes was better received by audiences. Stallone then removed some of Howard's scenes from what became the final version of the movie. This has been confirmed in Frank Sonello's book, Stallone or Rocky Life. So there was more scenes of Howard that we didn't wow. even get to see. Now even more, I want like a definitive cut of this right. film with like Lindsay Wagner's and Howard's scenes restored. Right. So prior to its theatrical release, the movie was severely edited for violence by the MPAA and the Universal Pictures. Amongst the scenes that were deleted are the disco shootout, which originally had Wolfgang, Wolfgar 
shooting and killing more people, and Wolfgar's death scene uh, in the ending, which was almost completely deleted. An original uncut scene showed Wolfgar getting shot five times instead of twice in slow motion by Da Silva. And in the end, the final six shots hit him in the head, blowing his brains out. Oh, my gosh. An animatronic head of Rucker Howe was made by special makeups artist Dick Smith and used in this scene. Although there was never an uncut version available, the soundtrack released for this movie included a track called Face to Face, which was used in the uncut editing. That does explain why, like, how abrupt the ending YouTube because the really is just like, yeah, he, he just, shot and credits. You know, he, he shot, he goes there, and he's laying on the guard and so just comes out and sits on the steps, and it's, it's over. And I'm like... That's kind of a weird ending. Yeah, yeah. It's a very sudden ending where it's just like, like there should be like a kind of maybe an epilogue to this. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Kyle, tell me about your first viewing and rating of Nighthawk. I think it was really, really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, great action. It's brutal. It's dark. It's miserable in a way that I really can just <laughs> love dwelling in. Yeah, no, it's just, the world is just like, like man, bad things just happen all the time. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You can only just be a good cop. That's all you can do in this gritty world. <laughs> Just get that kind of nonsense. Um, Billy D. Williams does a great job as well. Um, I always thought it was weird, like how he gets like his his, his, his jaw, <laughs> yeah. like basically split in half with a knife. But yet the next day he has it sewn together. And now he's fine again. And have you seen that big old bandage he's wearing? <laughs> the big all the old bandages. Like, how is your face not always on the class of maybe falling off? <laughs> Why are you not Two Face? It's <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. terrible. Um, yeah, because he was going to Cloud City. It's like no Calrissian. <laughs> <laughs> he runs Cloud City. He's Lando Guy, international <laughs> smuggler. <laughs> yeah, he owns a Millennium Falcon. <laughs> um, Donald Glover's going. Danny Glover's going to play. No, Donald Glover's going to play someday. Um, yeah, but overall, it's a pretty great film. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Rucker Howard's role um, steals every scene he's in, as well as like, him being the main focus of every scene he's in, which is great. So overall, this is a film uh, very strong. I'm probably going to give it probably a strong 7 out of 10 right now, and I feel really good about it. It's virtually on great, almost an 8 out of 10, but um, I think I'm going to sit a little 7 and uh, say it's a good film worth watching at least once if you're supposed to slow fan, especially, or an action fan. So I would definitely give it a watch um, again sometime in the future. So Jimbo, how do you feel about it? I think Rutger Howe's performance, um, I think he dominates the screen. I think he's genuinely scary individual in this movie mm-hmm. um, because he's one of those guys that could just blow up everything including himself and not care. He, he presents such a great intensity oh, to all of his roles. Great. Yeah. Uh, and I think this might be my favorite movie I've ever seen him in. It, I think he does better here than he did in Blade Runner personally. Um, mm. I like the story a lot better. Um, the whole uh, Stallone struggling with um, his failed marriage where he's trying to work through it with her to him getting into it with his police chief boss. Yeah. Uh, and then getting selected to this um, special uh, yeah. task force where the guy's even like, oh, well, your, your marriage failed too or whatever. You know, he's, just, he's just getting beat up all over the place. He's like, well, I quit. How do I didn't do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, despite his, his intentions and his impressive ability, he's kind of a loser. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah. life is going downhill for him and he knows it. Yeah. He's and, deeply uh, aware of it. You know, he, he yeah. was always like, well, I don't think I could take that shot. You know, that's yeah. murder. And uh, he's like, dude, this dude's killed so many people already. He's like, you'll know in that time if you can or can't. And uh, he has a shot earlier on. I think it's at the disco scene where he could have took well, him the, out. The train way. The yeah. train way was definitely, yeah. He could have he took him out, but he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, he, he froze. Uh, so that comes to play later on in the movie. But, yeah, I think it's a good action film. Um, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't say say too much more about it um where would your rating go uh man i know right i you know i probably a seven and a half 
Um, mm-hmm. I think it's right there on the cusp. If we could see some of those deleted scenes, especially if it gave more in-depth look into Rucker House character, this might jump up to an eight and a half, maybe a nine. Um, it's really good. It's it's a little dated. I will say that uh, some yeah. of the clothes, some of the way they film it, some there's just different stuff you'll notice. That it's a different time. Different <laughs> okay. time, different kind of production value, and yeah, different kind of mindset, yeah, especially, yeah. too. Uh, I wasn't, like, I didn't have, like, a radar on me for, like, like questionable material, too. No, no, In terms yeah. of, like, racism or sexism or homophobia or something like that, too. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was there. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think it was actually genuinely a, a good movie, and I'm glad we covered it. And I'm glad I seen it on Voodoo with Sloan and a beard. And I told Kyle, Kyle, you got to see this. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle's yeah, like, yeah. I'm happy doing to watch it. it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to follow us on The Tragedy of Cinema... Uh, Facebook page, uh, we're there. Uh, we post memes. We have a good time there. Um, if you want to reach out to us uh, at thetragedycinema@gmail.com, you can reach us there. If you want to leave us a review, and we'll read them like we did today, uh, good, bad, or rotten, uh, we don't care. Just thanks for giving us a chance and a, and a listen. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimbo, love you guys. Jimbo, what movie are we doing next? Well, Kyle, I'm glad you asked because I picked the next movie, and, and you chose a classic. A classic. It's a long and it's a it's a very um, it's a tough watch. Oh yeah. Oh, I um, so so I chose the bridge on the River Kwai. I always thought it was the bridge over, over the, the River, River Kwai. Yeah. But that is actually uh, I found out while doing the notes that the uh, author was French and when translated into English it was the bridge over the River Kwai. But the movie is actually the bridge on, on the, the River, River Kwai. Kwai. So um, it is ranked. I believe it's thirty uh, sixth. All time on the AFI Top 100, so uh, starring Sir Alec Guinness, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Star Wars fame. So I uh, can't wait for that. So uh, until next time, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.